apps of corporate and investment banking lead the conversation on future investment possibilities and sustainable growth opportunities in telecommunications. This is only the beginning. If you now extrapolate from a roadmap point of view where we are today, the benefits of telemedicine, the benefits of remote patient consultation, then you can move beyond boundaries. So you can service a patient in Tanzania from Nairobi in Kenya or from Johannesburg. And these are the next generation type services that we start to introduce now. Matching foresight with sustainable possibilities to unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, hosted by Bruce Whitfield, brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Hello and welcome to this very latest episode in the APSA Insights series. We're looking at the impact of technology in the fields of agriculture and healthcare in Africa. Joining us is Jacques Defosse, who is the chief executive of Mezzanine. It's owned nowadays by Vodacom. Just give me an idea, Jacques, if you would, about the genesis of Mezzanine. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. We started our journey in the healthcare industry as a startup in about 2004, very much focusing on medical and healthcare opportunities. Started to do some work for Vodacom, Vodafone in 2006 and seven, and ended up being acquired by them in 2012. So yeah, since 2012, Mezzanine has been functioning as a subsidiary of Vodacom Group with the mandate to support the Vodacom, Vodafone markets with the design and development of uh, digital solutions. When you start out in 2004, the most used phone then must be the Nokia 3310, for example. Maybe it was a Sony Ericsson. Uh, You've had a few here and there and maybe a BlackBerry. BlackBerry was also very popular. What kind of digital solutions were you envisaging back then? Yeah, very much as we referred to it as a feature phone user experience, leveraging the basic services like SMS, USSD services, IVR, which is voice services and knowing that it will evolve into a digital experience. So working closely with the likes of a Nokia um, in the European markets. So we've been developing from a feature phone base, but moving towards a more richer experience with what we refer to today as smartphones, but very much been part of that journey uh, over the last 15 to 20 years. Could you at that stage envisage an era of the Internet of Things? As engineers, we always dream of the impossible. So we had these use cases in mind, but what what was overwhelming in a positive way was the reach of making these benefits available to a resource-limited setting. So naturally, you would think that these very rich digital experiences will be available to the upper end of the market. But the benefit of mobile really is taking those services to the African continent. And I think that was, for us, the, the, the opportunity. Now, do we leverage the tributes of free, perfect and instant in delivering services to citizens on, on the continent. And that, that for us has been the, the upside and almost a surprise in, in how it evolved over the last 15 years. Talk to me about this concept of free, perfect and instant. Yeah, so those are the attributes we refer to, the digital attributes. And the question you ask in supporting governments and private enterprises, how do you leverage these attributes to either create new value, so new business models? How do you use these attributes to effectively deliver value? And then lastly, how do you use these attributes to capture value? So if you think of Uber today or Airbnb as a service, these new services are really enabled by the tributes that, that digital bring to us as, as a collective. 
And the question we've asked is, how do we use mobile in combination of digital in bringing that benefit to the last mile? So what is the definition of last mile in Africa? It's in the classroom, it's on the farm, it's in the clinic, it's at the workplace. And mobile really brought these digital attributes to the broader base, subscriber base across the continent. So mobile plus digital equals creative societies in, in, in our world. Give me a practical application of just how this technology is working. How is it helping someone sitting in rural Tanzania who can't get to town for medical care or someone sitting in rural Transkei needing medical help? How in practical terms is what you're doing helping them? Yeah, so I think a, a lot of uh, citizens or what we refer to as beneficiaries that reside within a resource-limited setting, let's say a rural area in, in Tanzania, is confined to a hyperlocal marketplace. So their means to interact and transact is really confined to whatever services are on offer within their immediate proximity. So in the case of healthcare, we've seen digital and mobile really improve the access to health services, the quality of health services, and the affordability of accessing these services. And a very simple example is if you're a mother or caregiver and, and your child contract malaria, you need access to quinine and, and coartum. It's still very readily available basically for free commodities that's available in most pharmacies that you walk into in Africa. But when you go to the clinic in your community, in your village, and that item is not available, that's the difference between life and death. So I think we, we focus on what we refer to as health system strengthening interventions and saying, how do we use mobile and digital to ensure that there's a safe supply of medicine available where it is needed, when it is needed. And it's these system strengthening interventions and, and solutions that we support, let's say, pharmaceutical companies with or ministries of health in making sure that citizens can access these services when they need them and that the quality of these services rendered by either public or private provider is of such a quality that that it actually meet the requirements of the citizens. So I think in the case of healthcare, we've seen just a simple so you're losing, using SMS. And this is something we've done in 2005. So it's not like a futuristic concept. Using basic capabilities like SMS, making sure that there's a safe supply of medicine available in these villages across the continent. And from there, we've built, as I've said earlier, into a more richer digital smartphone experience with all the associated additional benefits for both the beneficiary, the patient or the citizen and the healthcare provider. How's this shifted in the 17 years since you started out? How's the experience different? How does the service change as a result that now you've got the very best technologies available? Does the customer experience that change fundamentally as well? Absolutely. I think although the attributes and the building blocks I've I've referenced um, or referred to remains very much the same, the maturity and the type of services available improved over time. So starting off with very basic medicine supply management, evolving into also being able to manage pathology. So lab results, getting lab results from the clinic to the laboratory back to the patient, managing your immunization programs for child immunization uh, programs, and even now for COVID vaccines, managing patient care programs for diabetes patients or patients that's on tuberculosis or HIV treatment. 
So once you've established this digital channel to the point of care, whether it's a clinic or a pharmacy, you can now leverage this channel to support the unlimited number of what we refer to as use cases for that specific facility. And I think this is where we've seen a maturing across all the different stakeholder groups in utilizing digital in enhancing and improving the experience of both the patient and the healthcare provider. So I think if we refer to technology as a means to support decision-making, both clinical and administrative, we've seen moving away from just administrative decision support to also support clinical decision-making. And this is now where you give a patient in a resource-limited setting the benefit of improved healthcare experience compared to 10 or 15 years ago. And, and, and this is only the beginning. If you now extrapolate from a roadmap point of view where we are today, the benefits of telemedicine, the de- benefits of remote patient consultation, then you can move beyond boundaries. So you can service a patient in Tanzania from Nairobi in Kenya or from Johannesburg. And these are the next generation type services that we start to introduce now. Just how far are we from that reality? I think for what we refer to as precision care, where the ability to diagnose and treat a specific condition is is precise, like in the case of tuberculosis or HIV AIDS, in standard practice, we already use these remote consultation decision support capabilities. If you move into empirical and intuitive care, like let's say, for example, something like dementia, for example, It's, let's say, 10 years down the line. So I think not all of these capabilities can support all the clinical requirements. I think we need to be very specific with respect to the roadmap of clinical use cases that that we can support. Still to come in this EPSA Insights podcast. The ability to choose which variety of seed or which blend of fertilizer should I use for my soil type. The ability to choose who do I transact with. And giving the power to the farmer to actually choose in which stakeholders to transact and interact with, we've seen not only increase in productivity from a yield point of view, but also increase in income generated by these families. APSA Insights. The majority of farmers are small scale. Getting them connected to the outside world is, is absolutely pivotal to the survival of entire communities in remote areas, surely. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at the sub-Saharan Africa market, there's about 77 million of these we refer to as small-scale farmer families. And the majority, more than 90% of these small-scale families are not participating in what we refer to as a formal agriculture value chain. So both on the input side, so buying inputs or having access to inputs seed fertilizer, but also off-taking opportunities, the ability to sell my produce to a formal off-taker like a Nestle or Unilever or Coca-Cola. So again, earlier reference to being confined to your hyper-local marketplace. So what we've done last uh, seven years is how do we use mobile and digital to allow these farmers to participate in formal value chains? So ability to access financial services. No financial service provider serviced these farmers with a credit product or insurance product five years ago or six years ago. From a risk point of view, it's just too big a risk. Today, we see banks, insurers, financial service providers making products available to the segment of the market because mobile and digital is able to manage and mitigate the associated risk of servicing the segment. Access to inputs, the ability to choose which variety of seed or which blend of fertilizer should I use for my soil type. 
the ability to choose who do I transact with. I've got three potential buyers. I can choose who I contract with and who I sell. And giving the power to the farmer to actually choose in which stakeholders to transact and interact with, we've seen not only increase in productivity from a yield point of view, but also increase in income generated by these families, just because they are now participating in informal value chains. Not only are people becoming digitally enabled, but they also are going to access products and services that were unreachable even, I don't know, five years ago. And the opportunity set must be exponential in every true sense of the word. And just to give you an idea, a typical or traditional insurance product to a farmer, let's say from Santam, required an assessor to go out to the farm to get in a bucky, drive to the farm and do a physical assessment of what the damage was, let's say after a hailstorm or drought. Now, the cost to perform these physical assessments just means that from an affordability point of view, small-scale farmers can't afford an insurance product. Now, using satellite imagery and earth observation capability to monitor soil moisture, we can now introduce what we call index insurance. So we can monitor the rainfall within a a district or a region in Tanzania or in Uganda or Rwanda or Nigeria and Ghana. And for all farmers that participated in insurance product or that, that subscribed to insurance product, there's a payout if there was a drought or if there was a flood without doing any physical assessment. So we've used technology and we've used the reach of mobile to, in effect, enable the insurers to serve what was an underserved segment of the market, which for them is a big new opportunity. So moving from being confined to servicing commercial farmers in, let's say, South Africa and maybe a handful in the rest of Africa, to 77 million potential new customers. Now, this is attractive to any multinational looking at expanding into new regions, into new segments. So I think this is the, the power of digital. And going back to the tributes, these services, to transact to the last mile, it's free, it's perfect, and it's instant. And the question we should ask for each and every industry is, how do we leverage these attributes to start servicing these segments of the market, which we've ignored completely across a number of different industries? And that for us is the exciting part of what we do on a day-to-day basis. How does acceptance of work in areas which have been ignored, neglected for decades in terms of technological advancement, are people suspicious? Are they wary? Do they say, oh, thank you very much, I'll take it? Yeah, Bruce, this is for us probably the biggest lesson learned and something we often share with lectures at universities or conferences. One should not underestimate the importance of a trusted relationship. All of these digital benefits that we've mentioned, why, do we don't, why don't we see a mass uptake of a lot of these services? The service needs to be represented by a human being, what we call a high-touch representative in the village that, that is operating under a trusted brand. And I think this is our transaction with Vodacom. Vodacom is a trusted brand on the continent. People trust them with their money when they do mobile money transfers. People trust them in transacting their voice and their internet data in a secure and responsible way. And it is important for us to to bring the benefit of digital combined with a trusted brand with a local representation in the form of a high-touch human being representing the service in the village. And then you start to see the uptake. To just say you're going to launch a website with a very attractive service and people will flock to your website, that's, that's a misnomer. I think you need to have local representation. You need to localize your offering language, culture. 
appreciation for the local requirements within a specific market. Delivering agriculture services in northern Nigeria is very different from delivering these services in Zambia or Mozambique. And this is again where the benefits of digital is we can localize, we can partner with in-country stakeholders that can support us in making sure that the offering to the individual is relevant and the actual offering within the context that they can consume it. When you look ahead and you look at the huge leaps that have taken place in technology, how much more able are you to do what you were dreaming about in 2004 in the real world? Does it get any better than it is at the moment? No, I think some of the use cases we're discussing today really is just the tip of the iceberg. Where the collective investment is required really is on a, on a regulatory level to, and to create more conducive environments on a country level in majority of African countries and allowing citizens to benefit from these offerings. So the ability to manage a digital identity, the ability to transact digitally, money transfer, for example. These services are, from a regulatory point of view, in East Africa, you can transact cross-border. If you go to West African markets, it's very much still regulated. You need to link to the traditional bank. So I think we need to free up and liberate our innovators and our entrepreneurs to continue to develop new solutions and innovate. And and then we will see thousands more use cases uh, being delivered uh, in, in, in these markets. So I think intervention required on a government regulatory level to create a more conducive business environment is, 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 is a priority. And we invest a lot working with the African Union and working with the European Union in supporting governments in introducing a more digital-friendly e-commerce regulatory environment. But without that, I think we will we will still see limited use cases. Jacques de Force, thank you very much for joining us on APSA Insights. Jacques is the chief executive of Mezzanine. Mezzanine is owned by Vodacom, shaking up the African continent with digital. Expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, matching foresight with sustainable possibilities. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. For more, visit apsainsights.co.za.